Previously on Let You Down. These next two episodes of Let You Down feel very connected to me. It's not a part one, part two situation, and there's not necessarily a lot of overlap in the themes that come up in the two interviews, but the two people that I'm talking to are both friends of mine who were there for me during a couple of particularly difficult times in my life. Hey, that was pretty cool, right? I took the clip from the last episode and I EQ'd it so it sounded like a message on a tape machine to give it that kind of flashback effect. This isn't a narrative podcast, but I bet I could have convinced you for a second there. I'll tell you what wasn't cool. The entire second half of 2021, it sucked. Several areas of my life were really up in the air, and that was not helped by the fact that due to some circumstances that I won't detail on a podcast, I found myself preparing to have nowhere to live. Not knowing where you're going to live in a month is fucking scary. I was really lucky to be able to rent a short-term room from some family friends, but I couldn't bring my cat, and all of my stuff ended up spread out between three different houses in Halifax. Eventually, a friend offered me a place to stay, and it was a really stabilizing moment that went a long way in helping me sort through a lot of stuff, physical and emotional. The way I usually describe Laura Fraser is that there's someone who is really good at everything they do, but never in a way that makes you feel bad. They're a phenomenal singer and baker and illustrator and now tattoo artist. And for their first time being interviewed on a podcast, they did a pretty good job of that too. I'm Laura Fraser. I'm a tattoo artist here in Halifax, Nova Scotia. One thing that's really exciting about this interview is that so far, all of the other ones I've done, I have gone on location. You're the first person to come to me. (laughs) (laughs) I made the big trip downstairs. (laughs) It's like at least... It's two flights if you're coming from the bedroom. It's true. (laughs) um, Thank you very much for doing this. I really appreciate this. Of course. Yeah, so I'll just get right into it Mm -hmm. with what is a time or... Yeah, what is a story of a time where you were disappointed by, say, a person or a situation? Okay, for some reason, the first thing that came to mind, the thing I want to stick with, was uh, something that happened when I was in about grade two, maybe grade one. It's a little blurry, but around that age, like seven. I had an older cousin. He was like almost a decade older than me. He was in high school at the time, and he used to babysit us a lot. And I really liked hanging out with him. He was fun. We'd like, I don't know, fill pumpkins with pudding and go throw them off of the car garage by our house. And so I really, I looked up to him. I loved when he'd come to babysit. And it was the 90s. And so he had quite long hair, like shoulder length hair, middle part, you know, as you do in those times. And I was really into braiding at the time. And so I asked if I could braid his hair one day. And he said we didn't have time that time. But next time he came to babysit, I could braid his hair. At that age, I think I was getting like a $1 allowance, maybe two. And so I went out and spent my allowance at the dollar store. And I got one of those little containers of just like teeny tiny elastics just so I could braid his hair. And then the next time he showed up to babysit us, he had cut all of his hair off. (laughs) And I remember being so upset because I was there with this little bunch of elastics in hand, ready to braid his hair. And when I asked him why he cut it off, he told me that a girl thought it would look cute. And I think that was just like the first time (laughs) 
I remember being like truly crestfallen and not in like a hissy fit kind of like child way, but like I feel let down. Yeah. Yeah. You had done the legwork at did. that point. You, yeah. you spent your own money to get the elastics the tiny for elastics. these braids. Yep. Okay. Do you know what kind of braid you were going to give him? Oh, just like thousands, like all kinds of tiny little like just it would have looked horrible, mm-hmm. but just loose braids all over his head. Just yeah that was it i think (laughs) it wasn't anything special (laughs) no that's like so like just the idea of a girl told me that she thought it would look cute yeah (laughs) is like the amount that that resonates with me Mm -hmm. um the amount of decisions i've made because of that you know what not as much as some other people yeah but did they end up did, did they end up getting together? Oh, no. No. I mean, not that I know of. You didn't get to like braid her hair at their wedding or I something. I did not. No. He did marry a wonderful person, but not the high school sweetheart. But I think for me, it was just that it was that first time when I realized we weren't friends, that he was just my babysitter, you know? Right. Do you like, feel that that like changed the relationship going 100% forward? 100% it did. Like, oh, yeah. so... How long after that did he keep babysitting you? I mean, for a while, sporadically, whenever my parents were like out of town or something, he'd come look after the three of us and it was fine, but it just didn't feel special anymore. (laughs) I know it's quite sad. It's also like, I'm going to be like totally real with you. I feel like he kind of disappointed himself a little bit there because I'm just like, I feel like if he could have shown up at this girl's house with braids that he had let his little cousin put in, I think that would have been pretty stellar probably yeah i think you're right that's really great and i mean that's almost like what your job is now making aesthetic changes to people's bodies yeah that they want and luckily my disappointment story isn't me like spelling someone's tattoo wrong that has never happened (laughs) no 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 i I thought about it a few times but no it's never happened to me (laughs) no have you heard of it happening oh heck yeah like a lot of people i know have done that i mean i guess we've all seen the like no regrets tattoo yeah you don't have any any regret no regrets no tattoo regrets it's always roman numerals people get wrong or sometimes if you're just doing crazy scripts if you don't proofread it right it does happen a lot people i know have been sued over it really yeah one person in particular but yeah oh my god yeah. i didn't realize that that was an option yeah apparently it is there's, there's precedent yeah oh my gosh thank you yeah um <laughs> is there a time you can think of that you have disappointed someone or let them down yeah i think uh i did struggle to come up with one because i did find that all of the times i've disappointed many people i'm sure but most of them are either in very tiny amounts that's not even worth telling a story about or it's so grand that I wouldn't want to tell it because it's someone else's heartache and and struggle and I don't have the right to tell that story. So I'm going to find some middle ground, which was this time when I was young, I was working at Tim Hortons. I started doing like the night shift baking and then started working front of house. But then I got into university I was really excited about that. I was going to St. FX. So I had to quit my job because it was here in Halifax and I was moving to Anaganish. And the people I worked for who were to this day some of the best employers I've ever had in my life, they wanted me to stay so badly that they offered me like a management position and like track to ownership and things like that. And I just couldn't. Why? Like, 
it's Tim Hortons. I'm sorry, but no, I'm going to university. And so I think that was like, yeah, that was a big letdown for them. But they got over it pretty quickly, I'm sure. Yeah, I feel like I have I have also done the Tim Hortons life. And yeah. I can tell you for sure that that was not on the table no. when I left <laughs> Tim Hortons. That really reminds me of we met because we worked together mm-hmm. at Cafe Ristretto. Oh, yeah. And I always like to make the joke that we were kind of like the men in black because you weren't training a partner. You were training a replacement. (laughs) Yeah, that's perfect. I remember, I think I only worked there for like five months and then they closed down. Mm -hmm. And I can remember talking to my mom about it and being like, I have like a month's notice, but like, I'm not going to look for any other jobs. I really want to stay and finish it out. And mm-hmm. I remember her very much being like, you don't really owe these people anything. Like yeah. if you get a job offer, you should take it. Like it's closing <laughs> down. And I was like, no, like they took a chance on me. Like I had so much like weirdly placed loyalty to that family. Yeah. And there has been like a lot of talk when I interviewed like Tara talking about loyalty to institutions. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of, there's been a recurring theme in my life right now. Yeah. Also with people who I know putting a lot of investment into an institution or a location and having it not reciprocated and how disappointing that is. I am honestly, Laura, I am so proud of 18 year old you for like, (laughs) if I was in your shoes, that might've gotten me. I have a hard time with that loyalty and stuff like misplacing Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. I think that's really interesting that that's something that you would think of as disappointing them. Yeah. When you were just like going through the motions of life. Yeah. You had to put you first. I did. Yeah. So when you went to St. of X, Mm. that was like moving there. Yeah. How was that? Mm, It wasn't for me. It was a good story of being disappointed. Um, No, I just, I just don't think secondary education in like the university sense is for me. I didn't fit in at the school. I don't really learn that way. Classic institutional being talked at all day and then Mm -hmm. writing papers all night. It's just not for me. So I finished, but I didn't do anything with my degree and I changed majors halfway through. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you know, I've got that good old diploma that's now the new high school diploma that's necessary for anything in life mm-hmm. but other than that i didn't i didn't get a whole lot out of the experience you have the x-ring i do but yeah. i'm sure you've noticed i never wear it i have uh i'm from anninganish and i have noticed that you don't wear it <laughs> it's the first thing i look for when i meet someone no i i have one but i yeah no what did you take that's anyways i started off in biochemistry and then moved on to psychology. That's a pretty big shift. Yeah, huge. What prompted that? The change. I think when I first went in, it was in a bit of a rush, and I didn't know what I wanted to do, so I just picked what I did well in in high school, which was chemistry and physics and biology and math and all of that. But I got into it, and after one year, I knew it just wasn't what I wanted to pursue in life. And so the following year, I decided to just essentially build my own foundation program. And I just took everything I'd never taken before. So religious studies and literature classes and a couple of art classes and psychology. And that was the one that stuck. I just had a really great prof and she was 
inspiring enough to make me choose it as my major. Because I'd find myself at the end of a class just thinking that wasn't enough. And I'd go home and do my own research because I found things so interesting. And it was, I think, the first time in my life in terms of school I was ever really that interested that I had my own initiative to go and study outside of the curriculum. I don't think that's ever happened to me before. Do you think that was more the material or more this particular professor? I think it was probably mostly the material, but I I do give a lot of credit to the to the professor. I don't think she's there anymore. Um Susan Baker. I don't know if she'll ever hear this, but I hope she does because she's amazing and I hope she's still at it. Yeah. Anytime any name comes up on this podcast, I'm like, I think we can safely assume they will not be here. <laughs> Did you try to use that degree at all after you finished? No. As fascinating as I found it, most of the practical applications are either very clinical, which isn't my thing, or they're very trauma heavy. And I'm just way too soft of a person to take that on. I knew that from the beginning, like I'd be reading a case study, even if it was like a made up one just for teaching purposes. And I'd be like crying into the book just because I couldn't handle secondhand trauma. So I just, again, once again, knew it wasn't uh, the way for me, but don't know until you try. So what did you do after university? Uh, The food and beverage industry for a really, really long time. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great industry. It has its ups and downs. Did you have any particular place that you worked that was great? Honestly, I had a few places that I worked that were great. Because you've worked, I mean, even since I've known you, Mm -hmm. you've been a bit of a journeyman, Yep, I would say. Mm -hmm. But I think you probably worked at a few places even before. Yeah. um, I did. Not a ton, but I think the standout places I really loved my time or definitely Cafe Good Luck, which was the last place I worked in that industry before I started tattooing. And I was cooking there. And I think that made all the difference for me because like you were saying, I tended to jump ship um, at other places. And it's just because I was serving and it all comes back to me being kind of hypersensitive and I am introverted and it can be a really high stress job and you're, you're dealing with the public and they're hungry or they're drunk and they don't always treat you well. Mm-hmm. And just dealing with strangers day in and day out, it burns me out and then I just have to leave. But I didn't experience that so much when I was in the back of house, which I loved. And then the other place I that was a standout for me was Back in the day, it was under different ownership back then, but I worked at the Agricola Street Brasserie when it first opened. Mm -hmm. And even when those burnouts happened, they'd give me the time and let me come back. It's it's such a difficult part of that industry. It is. I feel like there's a lot more attention being paid to it now since COVID, at least from like the sort of echo chamber nature of my Twitter feed. (laughs) Um, People are at least talking about that more. It's a lot of just like jokes and making fun of the like texting your manager in the afternoon to be like, oh, hey, my pet is sick. I have to go to the emergency vet and then being like, okay, well, do you have someone to cover your shift? Like there can be a lot of, I would say, lack of understanding. Yeah. For a better word. Yeah. But these people were good for that. So good. Yeah, they were wonderful. The owners, the management, everyone was always so kind about it. And I'll, you know, that would have been like 2013. It was a while ago. Yeah, because you, that was where you went 
like right after we were together. Uh, yeah. And yeah. you like were one of the like original serving staff. I was, yeah, when they, when they very first opened. Yeah. yeah. It's really interesting that you refer to yourself as like a sensitive person mm-hmm. who takes things on. And there's just like so much of that in serving. I had, so I don't know what it is. I feel like I don't have to receive it as much, but like... I do notice a lot of my like femme presenting coworkers get it like a lot. Like a couple weeks ago, this couple comes in and my coworker like serves them, asks them, just asks them how their day is. And they immediately launch into, oh, we just had to put our dog down. And it was like a five minute conversation of just like what happened and how we are feeling about it. And it's kind of like, okay. But maybe don't share that with your barista. Constantly. Constantly. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And I mean, I still have that with my job, but now it's just, it's only one person at a time dumping on me and I don't mind that. I can handle that. Yeah. And like you can pick the music. Yeah, exactly. Maybe sometimes you can just like flip them, flip them around. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I can't quite reach from here. I'm going to have to uh, flip you the other way. (laughs) Is that something that you anticipated when you were getting into tattooing? Were you made like aware of that? No, no, I didn't. I wasn't made aware of a lot of things when I first started tattooing. (laughs) I've learned a lot along the way. It's almost brings me back to like my psychology education. I find I'm using that a lot because, you know, in the service industry, when you're serving someone and you have these like quick little interactions, you don't have real conversations because you're just there for a couple of minutes at a time, if that. And so the difference with tattooing is you are basically on top of this person for sometimes hours at a time. Mm -hmm. And when people are getting tattooed, they are both in pain. And usually people get tattooed when they're going through something. It's very common for people to choose to get tattooed when they're going through something in life. And so these two things combined usually lead to a lot of people kind of spilling absolutely everything and sometimes it's appropriate and sometimes it's not but I've gotten really good at kind of steering conversations away from things that get to be too much for me but it I just didn't see any of it coming I was just like I'm gonna draw on people for a living and then I found out it's I'd say 90% of the job is actually just managing people like schedules and schedules and feelings. reschedules and <laughs> expectations for custom work and asserting my boundaries has been a really huge thing in tattooing because I didn't do that at first. And now since I've done that, I'm a, a little better at kind of not burning myself out too hard. And then the person gets there and you need to you need to be all all there for them because they're permanently altering their body, which isn't a light thing like Mm -hmm. that's that's serious and I'm not gonna treat it lightly but then there are those people who getting a tattoo is nothing for them like it's a regular Wednesday activity and I treat them like they're fragile little birds and they get like okay you don't have to like ask permission to touch me and I'm like but I do (laughs) I want to it's another one of the differences just between those two industries it's Mm -hmm. like serving their isn't really a lot of opportunities to set up boundaries none or to have them even none. like with like your coworkers and stuff because you're just like so close all the time mm-hmm. that yeah that that would be a new skill that you would need to develop mm-hmm. and it seems to me as someone who has been on the ground floor 
<laughs> yeah. I meant that as far as like being one of the first people you tattooed, but also yeah, yeah, literally <laughs> the basement ground floor of your house. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I do get to see it, and it's it's really great. Like. Yeah. Even things that I had never clocked, like the post you had to make a couple weeks ago, essentially being like, hey, if I don't post your tattoo on my Instagram, it's not because I don't like you. It's just like, I think in the post you were like very diplomatic. I think you're just like, hey, (laughs) it just doesn't always happen. Yeah. And here here are the reasons why. You're taking so many pictures. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's late at night and you can't get a good one. Yeah. I will be like totally honest. I definitely feel that disappointment sometimes. Like yeah. it's like um I think there is like a reductress article heartbreaking like yeah. tattoo artists didn't post your tattoo on their it's- Instagram, but I've always been like oh okay, well whatever that would have been nice. And so much of my transparency in tattooing and like you were saying I do these PSAs constantly about everything and like just in case you were wondering this is how this goes and it's it's exactly that. It's managing people's expectations so that I don't disappoint them Mm -hmm. or at least if I have disappointed them giving them an explanation why I just think that's so important and I'm not really sure why it took me so long to start doing that to start managing people's expectations because it it is helpful for everyone involved if you don't have to do it a lot or if you're not used to doing it it can Mm -hmm. be really scary honestly on this podcast so far we have talked a lot about the idea of disappointment just being like you set your expectations too high for someone or Mm -hmm. maybe someone had set expectations on you that you weren't aware of Mm -hmm. and that's what causes it I get a lot of the time worried that the act of setting a realistic expectation is going to be what disappoints someone yeah you know what I mean oh yeah I keep it low all the time I have very low expectations (laughs) for everybody and then I'm just always pleasantly surprised and if you do not meet my expectations, you're probably a pretty shitty person. <laughs> just, just scum. Um, Laura, I obviously have been like tracking that and noticing that, mm-hmm. that that's the thing that you've been developing, but like getting to like talk to you about it and like to compare it to where you would have been before in different industries. That's really awesome. Mm-hmm. I'm like really, I don't want to say impressed because like, Everything you do is really impressive to me. (laughs) So like, I'm really happy to see that that's a skill that you're developed and Mm -hmm. it seems like you're getting like really comfortable in. Yeah. Which I think is a pretty solid segue into my last question for you. Of course. Which is, what is something that you've done that you're proud of or maybe something coming up that you're excited about? Honestly, I think transitioning into tattooing is the most proud I've ever been because... It was not easy. It wasn't easy at all. It's an unpaid apprenticeship. And I was working full time at the time because you still got to pay bills. And so it was hard. And if I'm being perfectly honest, um, I have been very lucky in that most of the things I've done in life have come easily to me. I'm very, very fortunate. I have like weird talents in different places that I can utilize all the time but tattooing was not one of those things and it was I honestly feel like you know I was already in my 30s and it was the first time I ever had to try at something in my life Mm -hmm. and 
honestly, it came down to what we were talking about before, which was expectations and managing my own. And I think I always held really low expectations of myself because I didn't want to try really hard at something and fail and let myself down on that side. So like with tattooing or with with other things? With absolutely anything. I've never been an ambitious person. I've never like really had a goal in mind. I've always just floated by until tattooing came along. And it was really, truly the first time I ever put myself out there and kept trying even when it got really tough. Mm. Um, And yeah, I think that's something I'm, I'm very, very proud of. And I don't, I don't talk about my pride very often because I kind of, yeah, I love to think of myself as being, you know, pretty humble. (laughs) That sounds, you can't brag about being humble. That's the opposite of being humble. But I I, I don't talk about my, my own pride very often. So I think it is really important to recognize the difference between being proud and being prideful. Mm -hmm. I think if that makes sense. Yeah. Like I totally totally completely understand what you mean where Mm -hmm. it's like it can feel a lot sometimes like talking about things that you're proud of is like braggadocious centering yourself to the world (laughs) but and it's it's been a hard lesson for me too and I'm still working on it that it's like it is okay so when you do a good job to recognize that yeah one thing I was sort of curious about from earlier yeah you talked about university learning not being how you learn Mm -hmm. I was curious to know how you think you learn and if that had an impact on you transitioning into tattooing? Probably, because I think that's where I should have been all along is in a technical college or getting into a trade of some kind, because I do now know that I learn by watching and replicating. So I I watch something, I see how it's done, and then I try it myself. I need to do it with my own hands. Mm -hmm. I don't do well with like auditory intake. Uh, I really struggle with that and that's all university lectures are so I do think an apprenticeship it was the first like four months was literally just watching I didn't touch a machine I just watched and watched and watched and absorbed like a sponge and Mm. then tried to do it myself and it's tattooing it's like literally (laughs) hands-on very hands-on yeah people listening may not know that is a very funny joke you have tattooed a lot of hands on me (laughs) (laughs) The only other thing that I'm really curious to hear about in regards to that, what was it in the tattooing that was a struggle? Everything. Designing and designing for like a broad spectrum of people. No longer just drawing for myself on a whim. Someone verbalizes their idea to me and I have to formulate that in my brain and then make it come out into a design and then... They have to either like it or not like it and then tell me and I have to make revisions. So the designing was tough. Learning to tattoo with a machine was like having someone else's hand in your hand and you're trying to draw with their hand. Like it's it's so strange. It doesn't even, you know, now I'm so used to it. It just feels like an extension of my hand. But at the time it was like trying to draw with my left hand. Mm-hmm. I'm right-handed. <laughs> is that like um like because of the weight of it or like because it's like powered like rather than like with a pen? There's oh, there's so much to it. Um that's definitely one thing. And I did learn on um coils which are kind of like the more old school form of tattoo machines and they're very like 
very heavy, very loud. They can get hot and they're back heavy. So the part you're holding is quite light, but then there's like a big weighted motor on the back of it that kind of counterbalances where you're like trying to draw. So that took getting used to. And at the same time, you're tattooing on a living, breathing thing that's also like sweaty and stretchy and sometimes like cringing and twitching. And so, yeah, Yeah. that was definitely a challenge. Again, learning to deal with people in a new way was a challenge. Um, Working two jobs was a challenge. It was also just like a rough time in my life outside of tattooing. So that doubled down everything. I think there wasn't anything easy about the whole thing. Yeah, for the first time. Yeah, for the first time I was challenged. Yeah, but you've ended up in a great position now where it's it seems you do really love what you're doing. I do. And and I love where I am. That hard work was also just like very rewarding. Yeah, it was. And now I'm like, oh, if you try hard and get better at things, (laughs) it's good. If you meet expectations that you set for yourself, it's wonderful. You're very good at (laughs) setting proper expectations and meeting them. Yeah. Thank you so much. Of course. That was really great. I really appreciate you. This was your first time being interviewed in a in a scenario like this. As my dad says, I've done it twice, my first time and my last time. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's an honor. Laura. Thank you so much. Um, of course. I never know how to end these things, so I just kind of do. Okay. I was looking, looking, but I couldn't see him. For all those low, low hanging branches in my face again. Down was made possible thanks to an initial commission by Mulgrave Road Theater. Our theme song was written by Jay Stroutman, and our artwork is by Isra Fitch. You can hire both of them. I am your host, Kalen Pygett, and I am also the head of talent and talent relations. I book the interviews and somehow didn't realize until today that everyone I talked to in this batch of episodes is a musician. But it's created this really nice situation where I get to play you some of their music after I'm done talking to them. And I know you really, really enjoy it. Thank you again to my guest today, Laura Fraser, who is directly upstairs from me. And I am feeling very self-conscious about how many times I've had to say their name while recording the intro and outro to this episode. You are hearing their song, Salty Heart, from the EP Good Grief by The Attempted Murder of Laura Jean. You can find it on Bandcamp. You can buy it. You can listen to it. I'd recommend it. Thank you. I'll see you next time.